Insomnia is the leading sleep disorder, yet diagnosis is often problematic. Enter a valuable clinical tool called the Sleep Med Insomnia Index. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Rick Bogan. Dr. Bogan is the President and Medical Director of Sleep Med of South Carolina, Chairman and Chief Medical Officer of Sleep Med Incorporated, Medical Director of Premier Health Systems Incorporated, and an Assistant Clinical Professor in the University of South Carolina Medical School. He is certified by the American Boards of Sleep Medicine, Critical Care, Internal Medicine, and Pulmonary Diseases. Welcome to ReachMD. Leslie, thank you very much. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Rick, I tell you, just reading your introduction wears me out. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, four different boards. Uh, you must not have insomnia. Uh, no, I don't. I sleep very well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. So tell us why you developed this Sleep Med Insomnia Index. Well, it was a very important tool for us clinically. In my clinic, for example, we see about 800 patients per month. And, of course, I operate a sleep clinic. And so patients are either tired and sleepy or they can't sleep is sort of the two ways to think about it. And as we have been taking care of our patients over the years, we were looking for a tool to help us to quickly quantify and assess the complaint of non-restorative sleep or frequent awakenings in the night. You know, most of us are so busy with so many different tools in our practices. How much time does this one take to administer to patients? It really is. It's patient-administered, and so the patients actually, it takes them less than two minutes to fill it out. So while they're in the waiting room, they typically will fill this out. So it's it's a very easy questionnaire. And what it's helped us is it's saved a lot of time. And we are seeing the patients. We're trying to follow their clinical course to see if our treatments are working It really helps us to quantify their complaint and then decide if they're responding appropriately to therapy. Okay, well, let's run through the test, starting with the first question. What is it? Yes, uh, the first question, and let let me back up just a little bit, because this was really designed to be a very sensitive tool, and so some of the questions are a little bit redundant. And when you think about insomnia or the difficulty initiating and maintaining sleep, it has several different facets to it. So the way the questionnaire is designed, there are simple questions, and the patient rates no problem with this particular area, all the way up to a big problem. So they can score anywhere from zero to four, and there are 10 questions. So if you have a big problem with all of them, you'll score 40. If you have no problem with any of them, you'll score zero. Mm, Okay. So um, as we introduce the questions, you can kind of reflect on the pathophysiology of insomnia and, and see how this quantifies itself. So the first question is kind of a global question. Overall, describe your satisfaction with your sleep. It's just open-ended. Patients having no problem, of course, they'll score zero. If they have a big problem, they'll score four. Okay. That's easy enough. How about the second question? Yeah. So then we begin to to sort of look at different issues. And the second issue is how easy is it for you to fall asleep? So clearly, we're looking at sleep latency here as a question. And sleep latency and insomnia research has been very important. And many patients obviously complain that takes them a long time to fall asleep. So we're separating that. Mm-hmm. But not all patients with insomnia have difficulty initiating sleep. So this is where we quantify that question. Okay. And number three? Number three is how worried are you that you won't be able to get to sleep? Many patients with insomnia will develop performance anxiety, as you well know, so they worry about whether they'll be able to initiate sleep. This is a common cause of kind of learned insomnia. You may have had some inciting event that created anxiety or you know, a move or something like that that disturbed sleep, and now that may be gone 
but now you begin to worry about your ability to fall asleep, and that's where that question comes from. You know, I think that's a great question because usually that's not included in the sleep sort of inventories that I've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fourth one? fourth one is, are you easily awakened by sounds or noises in the night? And we proposed this question, and Joanne Turner, my nurse practitioner, who helped me out with this and helped design this and do the research in our initial patients, we really designed this to get some idea of, I guess in a way you could think of it as an arousal threshold, the concept when people are light sleepers and they're easily awakened by any sounds or noises. And we oftentimes think of insomnia patients as individuals who are in a hyper-aroused state, mm-hmm. easily awakened by ambient noises or things of that nature. And so this was a way to sort of look at maybe an arousal threshold and judge whether these individuals were easily awakened in the night or their perception of it. Mm-hmm. Now, number five is a, a puzzled by this one. What's that one? <laughs> yeah, we did this. Um, when you sleep in a strange place or a bed other than your own, how much trouble do you have trying to fall asleep? And as you know, when you go to sleep tonight, you will put on usual bed clothing. You'll sleep on a certain side of the bed, and you may have a teddy bear or not. So, <laughs> so we call this accommodation. And some individuals intrinsically have an accommodation abnormality. They will tell you, Doc, if I check into a hotel or I'm traveling, I will have difficulty falling asleep. And some insomnia patients have this, some don't, but in general they do. But we call this first night effect. And we actually added this question because we do sleep studies. And this question really helps us if we have a patient who may have first night effect when they come to the laboratory to have a nocturnal polysomnogram done. So what do you do then if they say they, they have trouble sleeping? And I hear this all the time from patients when I refer them for sleep studies. Oh, I could never possibly get a sleep study, doctor, because I can't sleep in those places. Right. You know, there are a lot of discussions about this and some degree of controversy. But if I have someone with first night effect, one, we will help them accommodate to the lab. So we'll make sure we spend extra time, let them tour the lab, and so they'll know what to expect. Sometimes we actually may use a short-acting non-benzohypnotic or a sleep aid. Typically, these compounds have a fairly short half-life. They will help the patient initiate sleep, help get rid of some of that initial performance anxiety. And these compounds don't have much effect on sleep architecture at all, nor do they significantly increase upper airway resistance and cause any problems with obstructive sleep apnea, nor do they reduce periodic limb movements. And those are all things we're interested in looking at. So In general, the cost-benefit ratio of using a mild sleep aid in those individuals sort of outweighs any negative. Hmm. And with the SMI, you know in advance if this is going to be an issue. Exactly. Okay, so we're halfway there. Now, number six. Yeah, number six. Is your sleep disturbed with frequent awakenings? And again, as you know, sleep has an ultradian rhythm. So patients cycle every 90 minutes through the various stages of sleep, non-REM and REM sleep. And then we have a brief arousal or an awakening usually. And so this really allows us to quantify from a patient's perception how frequently they awaken in the night. And of course, patients with insomnia may have frequent awakenings. They may only have difficulty falling asleep, but they may have early awakenings in the night. So again, the questionnaire is helped us in terms of doing a factor analysis so we can pick out the specific factor that's bothering that patient. Okay, so whether it's sleep initiation or sleep maintenance. Correct. Okay, and number seven? Number seven is can you fall back asleep if you awaken during the night? And here, again, we're looking at latencies to sleep onset. Typically, patients with insomnia may have difficulty falling asleep with that first episode. But then if they awaken, for example, a patient with sleep apnea may have frequent awakenings but have no difficulty falling back to sleep. Whereas an insomnia patient 
we're thinking in terms, again, of being a hyper-aroused or hyper-vigilant state, these individuals may take longer, and we need to recognize that specific complaint. Mm-hmm. So again, these questions are designed to help us look at the factors for each particular patient, but also to begin to accumulate a score which will, with an established threshold, give us some idea of the quantitatively how severe the symptoms are. Mm-hmm. Now, number eight? Number eight is, are you rested the next day after your night's sleep? So again, here we're asking the patient the restorative aspect. As you know, insomnia patients have non-restorative sleep. And the NIH consensus conference recently reviewing insomnia basically says you need to have downstream implications. So a patient may say, I only sleep four hours, doc, but I feel fine. That's not insomnia. But if a patient says, I sleep six hours or seven hours, and I don't feel good the next day, that may very well be insomnia. So this is, again, looking at the restorative aspect. Okay. And number nine? Number nine, do you think you are getting enough hours of sleep each night? Again, this is another way of of looking at sleep restrictions. So here we're going to identify individuals who may have insufficient sleep. So if we have a shift worker or another individual who goes to bed late, this particular question is really targeted to try to help us identify that. So is it insomnia if you just don't allow yourself enough sleep? Technically not. It's insufficient sleep. So it's a behavioral pattern. And as you know, on average, we are sleeping about an hour and a half less than we did 100 years ago, Mm. thanks to artificial light and 24-7 society. So insufficient sleep is not insomnia. And lastly, number 10? Number 10. And again, this looks at the next day effect. So how much does the quality of the sleep affect your next day function? In other words, fatigue or mood or irritability, again, scoring zero to four. And each of these questions sort of look at different aspects of the sleep period. So you can see, are you having any problem with your sleep at all? And then you transition through sleep onset, performance anxiety, continuity of sleep, ability to get back to sleep, number of hours of sleep, and outcome measures was the way this was designed to look at each of those features to help us establish whether a patient is normal or abnormal. Okay, so the score then, you total up all the answers, and it goes somewhere between zero and 40. Right. Now what do you do? Well, now that the patient has done this, and hopefully they have added it so you don't have to add it. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Which usually is what happens in my clinic, so we're quickly sort of adding this. The nurse typically does that. So what we did was when we developed this questionnaire, and again, we were developing this to help us quickly evaluate patients to quantify the severity of their symptom and also to follow them. We studied 543 patients in a consecutive fashion, and what we found is those individuals that were perfectly normal typically scored 10 or below. Now, we had some patients score 10 to 15 who were not too bad, but they noticed some quality of life issues. Interestingly, what we found was that the questionnaire separated almost all sleep disorders from normal. So if you had restless leg syndrome or sleep apnea or even narcolepsy, your questionnaire was abnormal. You typically would score between 10 and maybe 20. But those patients who had fairly moderate to severe insomnia or pain or major mood disturbance, depression, those patients typically scored above 20. So 20 is a rough guideline to separate out normal to mild versus moderate to severe? Yes. I would would say 20 would be a good target. So when I have someone come in with a score of 38, I know... Uh. Yeah, we, we have some issues going on here. This patient is miserable. Typically, that's what they tell us. I mean, they're telling, Doc, you've got to do something. I'm exhausted. I can't think. I can't remember. And, you know, you've got to do something to help me out with my sleep. And, and they will score very high. 
Well, as you know, Rick, I'm a huge fan of this instrument, um, and perhaps we can tell everybody else how to get a hold of it. Yeah, it's, it's easy. You can go to our website, which is sleepmed.md, and the questionnaire is there. Patients can go there and actually take the test as well. Or they're certainly welcome to email me, and I can email them you know, the abstract and give them reference to the article. This has now been published in peer-reviewed literature, and I will be happy to email it to them. So I'm at rbogan at sleepmed.md, and I'm well, they're welcome to email me. And it's not copyrighted, so we can use it? It is copyrighted, but you're free to use it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. We've been discussing the Sleep Med Insomnia Index with its inventor, Dr. Rick Bogan. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 